Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Simon Abrams. Now, Simon is the author of uh, The Northman, A Call to the Gods. And I, when I when I was reading the book, I actually sent him a DM. I said, "I uh, your book is too pretty for me to take notes in, which is not a problem I usually have. <laughs> it's, it's a, it, is a, it is a nice uh, insight edition, uh, hardcover, big... Uh, you know, coffee table size kind of, uh, lots of lots of great pictures. And again, I just I couldn't bring myself to mark it up. So uh, thank <laughs> thanks to you and your publisher for sending me a copy so I, so we could talk about it. Uh, but uh, good to have you on the show, Simon. Well, thank you for having me for starters. And yeah, the layout of that book, which was designed by uh, editor John Foster and uh, Chris Prince, the latter of whom. I worked with on uh, another book for Insight, which was uh, a book about Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone. And uh, they're exceptional in terms of laying it out and designing that stuff. But all due credit as well should go to um, some of the amazing people whose material we were able to feature in that, like the costume designs of Linda Muir and um, production designer Craig Lathrop, the storyboards, some of which that director Robert Eggers did, um, some really stunning concept art, uh, set photos, and uh, it's it, it's uh, it's the kind of stuff that like really helps to 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 paint a very vivid picture of how uh, exceptional it is to see the movie has so much of that stuff in it because you know reading the script initially i was approached by chris my editor for the del toro book uh to do the project since i'd done that book before and i knew how to do this type of book and uh he asked me uh what i thought and i i read the script and we get to a very key scene at the end uh, and if you've seen the movie i'm sure you can guess what it is and uh but like it's it's I'm reading this script and I'm just like, they didn't actually film that, did they? Did they? They didn't actually do that. And then I watched the movie and I was like, there it is. There's the there's the scene. And it's like, it's amazing to see just how much of this like really, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it. Just this kind of uh, engrossing and, and very singular movie uh, is, is on the screen, you know? Yeah. Well, let's I, let's talk a little bit about the actual process of writing it. Yeah, uh, we actually I had been approached. Um, I'm trying to think what the timeline here is. Basically, they were they had already finished the film, and uh, at least they mostly finished it. They were still working on edits, and uh, I think they might have even been. Um, I'm trying to think there were reshoots and I'm trying to think what the timeline is of that but I had access to a work in progress of the film which I watched a couple times during the, the making of the movie and it was a fairly complete version of the film so by the time I was approached um, what was interesting is they weren't initially sure whether I could actually see the movie or not and uh, I think even Anya Taylor-Joy and some of the, the crew were like, you've seen it before we have. And I was like, ha ha, how about that? Uh, but I had been, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd gotten to see uh, 
a, a fairly polished and, and you know you know professional looking version of the film which uh at that point it was fairly clear that this you know the movie was basically what it was by that point you know yeah. So, I mean, uh, if you haven't seen Northman, uh, you should. It's it's I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. It's on Prime Video. You can watch yeah. it there uh, if you have Prime Video or, or you can rent it or you can go see it uh, at the Museum of the Moving Image. Uh, there's going to be a screening of that and Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. We can we'll talk about that in a second, too. Uh, but the uh, in between the two showings, there's going to be a signing of the book so you can pick up a nice copy the book, uh, Simon will sign it for you. You can give it to your uh, favorite Northman fan for a nice Christmas <laughs> present. Uh, it's, it is, again, it's a very handsome looking book um, and, and would make a great gift. Uh, but the, 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 the actual, the, it's, it's funny. You, you mentioned it being in kind of final polished shape. Uh, one of the things that you talked to the, to the director about Robert uh, Eggers, he, he has a, um, a pretty unique style of shooting, right? At least by modern, you know, big blockbuster movie standards. And this isn't a, you know, it's not a $200 million Transformers movie, but it is a $90 million Viking movie. You don't get, a, yes. you don't get a lot of those. To for sure. The approach that he and his cinematographer, his regular cinematographer, uh, Jaron Blaschke use is a very unique kind of single camera approach where rather than going for coverage where you have multiple cameras shooting at once, uh, Jaron is actually shooting all the action in the scene. And uh, the fact that it was a big budget film was part of the challenge. But I think that was also one of the reasons why star producer Alex Skarsgård was wanting something like that. Because he recognized in both The Witch, I think it was mostly The Witch that sold him on it. But uh, because he and his fellow producer Lars Knudsen, or Knudsen, sorry, were, were really, uh, they really loved the results that they got with The Witch. Um, I think it, it, they knew that that singular approach would get, um, re, you know, interest more than just like results because like they had been thinking about doing a Viking movie and were wondering like, how come no one's ever done this right? Or how, how come nobody's ever done one that actually feels like, uh, it's true to the spirit of this time period or these characters or like it feels like the real deal basically and uh, one of Eggers's kind of um, hallmarks is he does so much research and I think that that's partly also because like he's always trying to think in terms of like how to get something that like no one else uh, that that like feels like unique, and I think that the approach that he he does, where they film it like that, it was initially, if I'm uh, recalling these uh, early uh, production diaries, I remember seeing that like that approach was not necessarily the most intuitive or the easiest fit with a production of that size, but they got wind of it and they adjusted, and uh, the results are kind of gorgeous, and there's just multiple scenes where like. Um, especially once you know how challenging lighting for one camera is, especially given that like there are a lot of cramped indoor scenes and, you know, fitting some of these cameras into these little like yurt sized buildings and things. It's, uh, it's fascinating to find out because, you know, like it's single source lighting, it's a giant crane, it's, you know, a tiny room. And there's just so many details in so many of the scenes, interior and exterior, so like it's it's a real 
balancing act and the fact that it was like a big budget um action movie i think just makes even more um uh, it really makes it even more unique because honestly uh there really isn't anything comparable to it like i know everybody thought of it in terms of like oh i know hamlet i know conan the barbarian i know these these you know understandable acknowledged influences but like you just look at the way that they made this um and the harder you look at you're just like how did why what this is like it's almost like they created like a whole little world just for themselves and i think one of the things that helped to translate that to the screen was that one camera approach really because it created like you'll just look at any single scene and you'll you'll realize just how few times they cut or like how few times they like piece together the action through multiple shots and you just realize like there was a lot of care and a lot of um just you know attention to what you're looking at here and it's very easy to gloss over because it is like a, a very dense narrative and you're focused on the dialogue and the way that the characters look and interact with each other but like god once you just if you just look or once you it's it's one of those movies that when you rewatch it you're just like wow that shot lasted a lot longer and has this like really dreamlike effect and i'll do credit to jaron and, and robert for getting that because that's uh it's something honestly you know yeah, I mean, it, 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 the the takes are long without feeling showy, which is uh, which is a which is a I think an important element to kind of creating that realism that 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 draws you in there. You know, I mean, we're I think we're all used to the big oneer at this point, right? The big you know kind of one take. We're gonna do a lot of things. We're gonna move around a lot. We're gonna, and this movie kind of has that. I mean, like the assault on the. The uh, the the berserker assault on the 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 little town is is like kind of like that particularly in the beginning, but you, it it doesn't jump out at you um, as such, which is which is nice. The uh, when you were there, there's one little we we uh, let me ask I, for a couple interesting tidbits that you picked up in your interviews because half half or so of the book is interviews that you conducted with uh, the director, some of the stars. Uh, writer. Uh, so, what what were some of the things that you learned while you while you were talking to them uh, about about the the movie? I learned a lot just in terms of um, Viking history because I I really wanted to interview uh, a couple of the the research uh, experts that they went to. So we have two chapters in there where I spoke with Neil Price and uh, Johanna Friedrich's daughter who were two of the three main people they went to for, for Viking history. And because I didn't want to look like an asshole asking them questions like that, I, I had to do a little reading of my own. I read some of Neil's uh, book, uh, or one of his books about the, the Vikings, and um, I kind of did a little reading before speaking with uh, Johanna as well. And in both cases, I just realized that like, there is a real there are a lot of gaps in the history of the vikings in terms of like what we have remaining in terms of artifacts and therefore in terms of a timeline and a clear understanding of what daily life was like and i think something that very much informs the movie and its blurring of the lines of fantasy and reality is uh for them the spiritual aspects of the story uh, where whether it's you know 
this kind of like undead mound dweller that he fights to take his sword or you know the witch or the 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 seer or the various characters that are you know fairly supernatural um these elements were um part of everyday life or at least according to some of the recorded saga viking sagas and um the sagas vary from historic sagas to like oh yeah my uncle was a drunk and also he might have you know flown off to valhalla or like they have these these weird elements that are not terribly consistent and uh i think the fact that like you can see a, a deep respect for the gaps in our historic knowledge um in the movie because the movie is very much i think um about that it's very much about like the uh the negotiating process of what is history at this point and you know seeing how like a lot of the the worries and the concerns that these characters have are very much a product of the fact that like vikings were basically um very much uh living in a society based on uh uh their own might it was a very unstable society they were literally living uh for a while uh before going to iceland uh under a volcano where like the ash could you know kill you and uh it's it's a very precarious position because the tribe leader one minute could be just toppled next week by you know his his brother or his brother-in-law and it was just very much a whoever you know can hold the hold the the position longest gets it and uh there's just there's so much detail about that and about how like um that feeds into the anxieties as well as the the spiritual questions that they had that i think is baked into not only the plot here but in terms of the the details um but it's also just a fairly straightforward uh hamlet riff um so there's a lot of elements of conan there's a lot of elements from other movies that inspired it uh like throne of blood and uh um uh Janschko's, uh the close-up um conan the barbarian of course and uh a few other the virgin spring uh but there's just there's also a very culturally specific i think um concept of or a really question about like what 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 do we know about the vikings and how like basically this character who ultimately goes off on this very ambiguous hero's journey uh it it lets you to to read it in several ways i guess i want to say so i appreciated that ambiguity and the more detail I, I I found out about it and why where that came from, the more I was just like, God, I I didn't even see uh, a quarter of that until I started doing this book, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, you'll definitely come across a lot of interesting stuff in here. I mean, I I was I was fascinated by a lot of the the details and 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 all that. I when, I among them the fact that Alexander Skarsgård, you know, I guess I never really thought about it, but Alexander Skarsgård is basically of this area he grew up in yeah. this this region and was was you know his family is from here and uh, in the uh, i think it's the foreword of the book uh, he tells an interesting interesting story about um his own kind of personal connection to to this this land yeah he he very much wanted to do justice by uh 
something that he had never seen in movies before because of that personal connection you're talking about with like you know how for him it wasn't just a matter of like national pride it was uh it was a matter of like well how come i don't see this type of like culture basically or this kind of heritage and like it wasn't even like a political thing it was just like you know like you watch stuff like there's even that vikings tv show i forget the name i think it's just called like vikings and uh vikings yeah, yeah. and there's there's stuff like that where it's just like it's probably fine for what it is but it's not what somebody like if, if that's your background it's not gonna do it for you <laughs> so i think it was yeah. interesting because like he very much wanted to do more than that so yeah he uh a- again uh, great great uh some nice little tidbits uh, ethan Hawk also has a preface uh and uh, there's a introduction from the director and and the screenwriter whose name I have I've tried to nail down the pronunciation of, but I'm going to ask you here in live on Squadcast. Is it is it Sean? Yeah, that's how that's the closest okay. I've come to. Okay, okay, yeah, because it's spelled S J O N. It's but it's Sean. Yeah, Sean. But it's uh, but it, an 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 Icelandic novelist and screenwriter uh, yeah. who worked with Eggers on getting that kind of very Icelandic quality. Uh, how did how did those two hook up and how did they uh, kind of then hook up with Skarsgård to bring this whole thing together? I'm thinking it basically weirdly starts with Lars von Trier because Lars von Trier worked with Sean on uh, Dancer in the Dark. Sean did the libretto, I think they call it, uh, for Dancer in the Dark. And that's how he, I think that's how he met Bjork. And he was at a dinner party that Bjork was uh, uh, hosting. And uh, that's where she introduced Sean to Robert Eggers. This was like right after The Witch, I think. And she's like, oh, I think you guys would get along really well. Your, your work complements each other. And, you, you know, like, you know, she was kind of like a, a, mat, a platonic matchmaker in that way. And then after uh, they had some fairly, uh, you know, they hit it off at the party and they, they kind of exchanged uh, their respective works. I think he showed him The Witch and Sean showed him one of his uh, fantasy novels, uh, which have this really uh, eerie, uh, hard to pin down tone and, and kind of, they're fascinating for that reason. But like, they immediately were just like, we should do something together. And they didn't really think of it until like... Um, he had uh, Eggers had already spoken to Skarsgård, and uh, I think after that, uh, he basically uh, approached Sean about like rewriting and like reworking their their script. And uh, you know, Eggers was the primary screenwriter, if I'm understanding it right. But Sean really um, brought his. Uh, um, brought a lot to the to to what Eggers already had you know yeah there's uh there's there's a very interesting little tidbit in here uh that I don't I don't want to I don't want to uh I don't want to I don't want to you know um uh overstep here and and pick out my favorite scene in in the movie but my favorite scene in the movie is the the uh the the I don't know uh Viking Quidditch whatever whatever that the that Natlicker game, is. game the, yeah 
Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I, I know a lot of people who really like that scene as well. It's fantastic, wonderful, kind of very foreign and primordial, yet also familiar Yes. And uh, and and you know, kind of understandable sequence, but that almost didn't make it into the movie, right? Yeah, it's a, it was a very hard film uh, scene to to film for starters. There's also no extant sport call, like the the choreography for that. They entirely had to make up. Uh, Nat liquor is not something that is still played. Um, it's mentioned a bunch in the, the, the sagas, uh, just in terms of like, sometimes there's like a fairly standard scene at like a, a festive, like a, a, um, like a party almost. And like, they, they'll be playing Nat Licker in the background, but like, it's a, it's, you know, it's not an easy scene to, to put together and like finding the location for that scene was really tough because they needed something that they could get a full view of the the pitch basically and uh finding that especially in uh that part of ireland where they shot was super tough and uh it's uh it's kind of amazing also the detail that i always love about that scene is that this isn't probably something that they've struggled with but i just find it I can't. I I can't imagine it being easy casting people who are taller than Alex Skarsgård, and several men in that scene are. It's not just yeah. like one or two of them. There's like at least three to five guys there that are like, oh yeah, you're six foot, you know, two or three, or I don't know. I try. I remember, but like, there are several that are like, it's like, oh yeah, this guy's like six six. This guy's seven one. This guy's. It's just. It's just like, what? How? What did you? And it's like, it's not like camera tricks or anything. It's like, they're just big, big dudes in every, in every way. And it's, it's, it's to me, what, especially rewatching, knowing that I was just like, Jesus Christ, these guys are massive. And, yeah. uh, the fact that you can't break with that camera, one camera, um, for the choreography, which is just so fast, you know, like it's, it's not it's not a, an easy scene to do. And I, I think I'm trying to remember how many days they took, but it was like that I think might've been their most challenging to, to shoot in terms of uh, uh, single set pieces. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a tough one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in the book, you see, uh, Eggers talked several times about how he just, he wanted to take it out cause he doesn't like sports. He's not a sports guy. He, yeah. He that's super interested. Which yeah. is a weird, I, like, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, I can understand that. But, you know, uh, I assume he's also not like a rape and pillage guy. So, no. you know, <laughs> I, I feel like it's a, I feel like that's still, you know, that's, you can, you can still work that in there. Sure. I think, though, with the details that he wanted to do, there were stuff that, like, basically they were trying to negotiate what was essential in terms of the audience expectations as well as what was authentic to that period. And I think Sean really talked him into it because it was like, this is a normal staple of the Viking saga. And um, it made sense in that way. Plus it adds like an extra action set piece. So um, I think it, it just, it made sense. And uh, I, I think yeah. honestly, his his dislike of sports aside, I think he, he, he knew that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I uh, it, this is one of the first movies that got shot uh, during the pandemic, during the um, certainly one of the, the first big movies, you know, first big 
uh, productions with lots of people, you know, moving, mm. moving sets and, and that sort of thing. Um, what was it, what, what did he, uh, what did, uh, the director Robert Eggers and the, and the rest of the crew kind of make of that whole situation aside from just making the best of it and, you know, getting it, getting it all done. It was tough because I know they had before they even started, they wanted to do it in, uh, Iceland, uh, a lot more of the principal photography in Iceland. And, um, I think because it was something like a five month break, um, there were some, as you said, uh, incidental benefits like uh, production designer Craig Lathrop was building like a, a house where they, the roof itself had to have like um, spores or, or turf put into it and it wasn't going to be ready in time for a normal shoot start time. But five months later, they returned to the set and it was, it sprouted. It was completely covered in this turf because, you know, Ireland with rain and, you know, from something like from March to September or so it was, or October, something like that. And it was, it was, it was basically in that time you, you had, uh, you know, the grass grew on that roof. And, uh, this likewise, I think what's interesting is that like, um, they, Eggers had to, for example, like he had to use that time productively. So he was like fleshing out even more his storyboards. And uh, what was incredible to me is that like they were otherwise able to like keep everybody together. Like there was no um, question about like, oh yeah, well, this guy's got to move on or that guy has to. And um it's it's kind of remarkable to me for that reason partly because it's just uh they were able to adapt so well and i think in some ways the shift to ireland the early fairly early on shift to ireland was a uh, a good example of how like their adaptability um was at least partly dependent on finding the right people to do that like you know naomi liston the location manager who we interviewed she had worked on, uh, and I think she is still working on Game of Thrones uh, for House of Dragon. And uh, she, I loved her. I wish we had more of her in the book because I love her interview so much. And uh, she is such a character and she's so funny. And she just talked about how like, oh, I know Ireland very well. I, I know exactly where to shoot for this, for that. I know where you want for this view. And it's like, um, she's just a great example of how like you use the, the, the change basically. And they lean into that. I know that like Linda Muir and her team um, and you know, they, they all basically had to use that time. And in some ways it was, I guess in that sense, not to be Pollyanna-ish about it, but it was kind of a mixed blessing um, or a blessing in disguise even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh uh, it was a tough time. I know several shoots that were going on there, and uh, everyone was just going crazy. It was a it was a crazy, crazy time. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the screening on Sunday. So I don't know anything about Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. I don't I don't the, not not familiar with it. Why is this a movie uh, that you wanted to pair with The Northman? And why was uh, Edgar so excited that you got a I think you got a thirty five millimeter print, right? We did, and um, well. I had written originally for the book a couple of sidebars that we wound up cutting for space. I mean, the margins for this were so tight that we had to narrow down a lot of the interviews. But I'd done a, a sidebar of uh, about, I think, nine films that inspired uh, Eggers and that he used as reference points to 
different people like the costume designer or uh, Jaren or others. And uh, uh, what was interesting about that is um, when we cut that, I was like, I want to do something with that, though, because I watched or in some cases rewatched like Throne of Blood or Virgin Spring, like these movies. And I was just like, some of the ones that aren't already known deserve to be seen and they it's you know this seems like a great opportunity and while i would never knock the idea of showing like conan the barbarian because it's a fun movie um or like uh some of the other stuff that like um i think in los angeles at the american cinematheque they had a, a, a very nice retrospective for the northman which was really cool but it's like i wanted to show something that was a little off the beaten track stuff like the fall of otrar which is like a genghis khan movie or uh the 2013 hard to be a god which is just ah it's such a stunner it's such a beautiful film and i love the reason that we wouldn't show that was because uh the museum of the moving image had showed it too recently um we had originally talked about showing conan um and i would have been absolutely fine with it conan's you know good choice but shadows of forgotten ancestors is not only something that like i feel like is a unique film to see it's just a gorgeous film it's a it's a uh ukrainian based on a ukrainian folktale set in the carpathian mountains and uh it's kind of like a folktale romance about a doomed romance that like uh it's also involving like a sort of vampire like character, as you might imagine, based on the location, you know, the Carpathian mountains. Um, and it's by the great director, Sergei Parajanov. I'm butchering the name. I'm sorry in advance to Daniel bird. If he listens to it, who has done a lot of work with Parajanov films, but, um, he's a very interesting filmmaker. Who's probably best known now for the color of pomegranates, which I think the criterion collection has. And, uh, this is, I think, his first or second feature, uh, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. And, uh, you know, it's not an easy film to see. And I was just so stoked to, to show it because um, the parallels between the two films are, are really striking. They're, it's not like a, a very um, one-to-one literal like par- series of parallels, but like the romance between these two characters the sense of like being bound to cultural responsibilities and uh the way that uh romance and uh you know one's understanding of not only family but like you know uh your role in that society works i think they're very uh sympathetic and they 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 have a lot of interesting parallels and I think of the movies that I, I watched for that sidebar, I was especially delighted because I had wanted to see Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors for a while now, but like I just never got around to it. And just finally watching it, I was just like, holy, holy shit, this is amazing. This is just like a stunning movie that like has such uh like like the Northman has such depth to it. And it's such a a, a beautiful, resonant movie that like is not only just gorgeous to look at, like it just it seems like the kind of movie that each time you were to watch it like it would become an, a different movie or a deeper movie even and uh i feel the same way about the northman so like seeing them together is going to be such a treat because like you know like you said the northman is already on uh uh streaming and uh maybe people have already seen it uh, in theaters but like i feel like for an event like this 
I obviously want to give people extra value for their dollar, but like I just wanted to to, to get them something that like is gonna make this like with the book, like something that's like gonna make them see even more uh, into the film, and uh, I think this is a, a great choice for that. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, screening again, it's Sunday, November 20th, uh, 2.30 is when the, I think that's when the uh, the Northman screening is and then the yeah. uh, the Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors after that. You can buy the book, get it signed in between. You should do that. Make sure to pick up a copy of the book. Uh, and Museum of, uh, Museum of the Moving Image, that's in Queens, right? Yes, the story of Queens. Okay, so it's a, if you're if you're in the New York metropolitan area, go check it out, um, or fly there. I mean, I don't know. You can take a bus, a train, whatever. Uh, go 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 check out the screening and signing. Uh, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If you think there's anything folks should know, either about your book, the making of your book, uh, the movie itself. You know what what your what what did I fail to ask in this uh, half hour discussion? Oh no no that was good. I mean. Uh... I would just mention as an added incentive to pick up the book, uh, we have a preface by Ethan Hawke and uh, it really is something that like, even if I weren't involved, if I were to just pick this book up, I, and this has, you know, it's not me doing it, but like just the layout and the design of it is just something that I'm really happy and proud to be associated with because uh, the folks at Insight, John and Chris, like they do they do damn good work at that and uh just seeing it all in conversation with the text especially uh and with the interview material it's very exciting because uh it's one thing to describe some of this stuff and it's another to not only have like images from the movie but images from like what the movie you know their the storyboards and the concept art was and uh having that all in one place and being able to pour over it it's uh it's special you know yeah it really again it really is a uh a a beautiful looking book and it and and simon's right i mean like the 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 stills are great stills everybody loves stills and the set photos are great too everybody loves set photos but like there's a lot of you know design art and that sort of thing in here that you don't you don't really you don't necessarily get a chance to see too often so uh definitely if you if you enjoyed the movie you should you should really consider picking it up it's a it's a fascinating um thorough glimpse into into its making um so strong recommendation uh and make sure you go check out uh, the screening if you haven't seen it already or if you have i've seen it i've seen it both on my tv and in a theater i will tell you it's better in a theater because it's bigger and the sound is better absolutely it's amazing how that works out you know but whatever i'm not i'm not the boss of you guys uh i am sunny bunch i'm culture editor at the bulwark and i will be back next week with another episode of the bulwark goes to hollywood we'll see you guys then mm-hmm.